Karina, everybody. Uh, just wish I could keep saying names, but this is my cool Korean friend right here. God bless you. Amen. Enough awkward hellos, but thank you for saying. I welcome to our gathering tonight. Let's open in prayer. Feel free to have your refreshments in hand. If sitting is more comfortable, that's up to you, but we're going to stand and sing right now. But just welcome you here tonight. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you brought us here today. The weather is changing. The sun went down at 5 in the afternoon. But God, the sun is always shining in heaven, the S-O-N Son of God. And today, let him shine on us. Let him lift our hearts and our spirits. Let Jesus Christ be the center of our attention as we worship him today, Father. And Lord, let us all find love for each other and to our neighbor more than we've ever had before. Let today, God, be a great blessing. We've made our opportunity to be here with you. Be with us. Help us to love you and our neighbor. In Jesus' name, and can everybody say, Amen. Amen. Vanessa, would you lead us in songs? When I see pictures of tragedy, don't Jesus, come to my rescue. 
Jesus, you shine your love through us, Lord. So I pray, God, that as the people in this room choose to follow you, God, that you would guide them, Lord, to know your truth through the word of God, through the Bible, God. Yes. 
right, if uh, you want to start making your way back to your seat, that will be groovy. Groovy. Vanessa, would you stay up here and play a little bit in the background for me, please? Alright, how's everybody doing tonight? Awesome. Well, thank you all for coming. Welcome to Metro Praise. We're praising his name. Come on, somebody. Uh, we're just so happy to be here. How many people are missing the sun right about now? Uh, this, I, I don't know about you guys. You guys are some tough Chicagoans, you know what I'm saying? But I got spoiled. See, I was from the mid, uh, from Illinois, I mean, Indiana, and then I visited Illinois with my parents, but I never knew this time change thing until I went down to New Orleans for eight years, and I got spoiled down there. And I remember coming back here about, uh, you know, about seven years ago, and I remember the sun going down after this time change at five o'clock, and I was just freaked out. I'm like, how does this happen? And how many know it keeps getting dark until about four, and then it will start going back, but uh, just pray for me right now, just, you know. I was in California last week, and I wish I could have come back with a tan, but, I actually came back a little sick, so just stretch your hand and go touch him, Jesus. Thank you, so it's just good to be back. It was good being in California. I was working on the, the Bible college that we have in our church. There's about 40 locations around the country. Our uh, headquarters are out of uh, Oakland, California, so we were in Monterey, California. If anybody's been out there, just beautiful uh, beach, coast, uh, California, yeah, weather out there, just awesome. And I did this a whole bunch, and I was like, what's up, dude? And that was just for me, people looked at me weird. But people normally look at me weird, so I felt normal. Uh, anyways, we're going to keep meeting here every Tuesday at 7. It's good to see you guys filling up the house. Uh, as you can see, we got the Nutcracker thing going on here. It looks like a little bit different of a Nutcracker than I'm thinking. Uh, it looks like these walls are a little cracked. And if you look at these pictures, there's a sailor or a marine there. I don't know what's going on, but this is for the Nutcracker. I think it's pretty cool. What do you guys think? Can I get some Snapple Doodles for this right here? Come on. There you go. Awesome. So keep coming out every uh, Tuesday. If you're new, we want to give you some brochure, uh, brochure, some information. Check us out online, metrophrase.org. Our vision at Metro Praise is to love God and love people. Jesus says these are the greatest commandments, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So we just want to invite you to join in the vision of God. Not just Metro Praise, but what God is speaking about. And I hope that's important to you because that is what's going to matter in life, is your love for God. And the way we do it here is we do a connect, mentor, send uh, strategy. Can everybody go strategy? Thank you. Like you're Russian from like the James Bond, you know, villain film, whatever. Everybody go strategy. Thank you. And so our strategy is to connect you to the cross. And the way we want to connect you in is by going to a life group. And we feel that these life groups, these home Bible studies, are the best way for you to learn the Word of God. And while you're there at Chris and Vanessa's house on Sundays at 5, you can ask about the discipleship. And I'm giving these books away free to this campus until uh, there's enough of you when you'll start wanting to buy them, okay? So until you want to buy them, I'm going to give them away for free because they're that awesome, okay? And so I just really want you guys to do this. It's not like it's cheap. It's, it took a lot of time. But what's really cool is you go to the life group, you get into this Bible study atmosphere, you can share your hurts, your ups, your downs, or you can just sit there quietly and listen, you know? But while you're
you're there, I'm sure this hunger will come on the inside of you because I see it in the church. And when that hunger comes inside of you, you can ask the life group and you can be like, yo, what's up? Can you take me through this book? Can you help me learn more about God? And the book, you know, this starts off chapter one. What is prayer? What is the Bible? What is going to church? We'll help you do that. Everybody go, cool. Amen. It's cool. Come on. And then when you go through this part right here, uh, this is where it spazzes out. When you go through our uh, first part, the connect, everybody say mentor. Thank you. This is the second part. And I want to start this here on Tuesdays at like around 5 o'clock. It's an hour class I'll do with you for about 12 weeks. That's what it's intended to be. And it usually lasts about 52 weeks, okay? But it, we just get so in-depth that we get into it. And this book is also free if you want it, and it's a little bit thicker. And I'm gonna teach it as a Sunday school here, but on Tuesday, we'll call it a Tuesday school. And everybody go, Tuesday school is cool. See, that keeps you guys up right now, right? It's late, and we gotta keep you up. Okay, and so what's cool about this is you can get it for free as well. And if you're like, man, I want it online, guess what, metropraise.org, hit books, and then you can go there, free PDFs. So our vision is to connect you to the cross, have you learn about Jesus in a life group setting, then begin to get discipled, then come into a discipleship relationship where you can learn more things about the Bible, and then be sent out. Can everybody go like this and go, send? Thank you. We want to send you out to change the world, and that's what we're passionate about. We go out on Saturdays to the west side. We reach out there to the inner city every Saturday. We go every Saturday to David and North uh, preaching the gospel. We also have adopted three high schools, and we go out there sharing our faith, even here on Tuesdays doing hot chocolate now as the weather is getting colder. This is our way of sending out into the world. And so we believe if we connect, mentor, and send, we can see 100,000 disciples here in this city with 50 churches, only 48 more to go, y'all, come on, and 500 around the world, and we already got 200. How many know we can do the thug, dizzle for the love, the shizzle? Somebody say, let's do it. Right. Amen. So just connect to this life group. If all you heard me say right here was, come out Sunday to a life group at Chris and Vanessa's house. And I want to tell you, we've got a new series coming up. We're finishing up the one today, uh, the big W's of life. You know, who am I? Why am I here? Where do I go when I die? And then today is going to be, where are my keys? Does anybody know where your keys is right now? Has anybody ever lost your keys? How many have ever lost your keys and you just feel that gut feeling? You're just like, that's a bad feeling. And then you look at your car and then it's in your car. And then... I'm going to tell you a story about that. I'm going to get ahead of myself right now. But I'm going to finish this series, but, you know, it's going to be awesome today. I want you to share it. But guess what? This church is always going to keep giving you new series, things to get excited about as we're growing. And I thought, what better message to share over the next few weeks is the message on it's time to grow. So while the weather's getting darker and, and things are dying on the outside, leaves are falling out, I want you to think on the inside, I can start to grow spiritually. And I want to do these next four lessons, which is going to be next week, grow up. Everybody say grow up. Grow Thank up. you. We want to grow up in the Lord. The week after that, grow in evangelism. How to share your faith. I've been doing outreaches. Over 500 outreaches I've been a part of. Three different mission trips. Uh, 16 years serving the Lord as of November 5th. Just turned 16 years old. And Jesus, hey. Uh, that was really cool. And uh, we're going to talk about evangelism that day. Then the next week we're going to talk about growing in generosity. Living to give. Having the heart of just God use me to make a difference in this world. You know, we don't want to hoard it in. We want to give it away. And then that last week, December 6th, we want to grow in community. 
what it means to grow here and do things with God. And let me just give you a little FYI of what's going to happen in December. You can just mark in your calendars right now, but we're going to tell you all about the coming weeks. December 20th, we're going to do a special outreach for the Christmas season here. Some of the ideas we're coming up with is like an ugly sweater day, gift exchange for a dollar, decorate a tree with homemade decoration. It's going to be like really cool, okay? Maybe cooler than the way I'm describing it right now. Because like some of you are like, no, I'm not Okay, we're going to do something. Whatever you think is cool, if you think riding ponies is cool, we're going to have that here. Okay, so you just come and just think to yourself, we're doing a lot of great things, and it's time to grow. We want you guys uh, to be a part of that. Now, as uh, we're, we're growing here, we do need to get everybody on the same page with the finances. And this church is not about money, and if you feel that way, I just want to apologize to you now. We're not, not that, that way, and we've never been in any way different. We've always loved God. And, we're not here for money, but what I wanted to do is, just like what we do in our other campus, I wanted to start giving you guys updates on what's going on here, so you know where the money's being spent, and you never ask us, where's the money? And then, you know, if I drive up in a Rolls Royce, and you're like, there's the money, you know, but, but not here. Look at your name, everybody's not here. That's, that's I went down the road, that's not here, okay. Uh, and so, this is what we brought in for, so we had our full, we started uh, the second week of September, so we couldn't count that as our first full month, so October was our first full month. Here at this location, Tuesdays at 7, we actually have five uh, Tuesdays. Did we have five Tuesdays? Uh, I think we have four Tuesdays. Either way, this is what we brought in as I checked the Tuesday count for October. We have four Tuesdays. Yes, we have five Sundays. I'm confused. Did, did the other report for Irving. And this is what we brought in here, okay? So when you guys give and you circle tithe or you don't circle anything, it goes into a general fund, tithes and offerings. $161.94. Let's give it up for some shackles coming in. Come on. Let's get excited. Amen. I mean, I'm just thankful it's not zero dollars. Missions, nobody gave anything. So that means on your envelope, nobody circled missions. Uh, Vanessa, can I see an envelope and I'll walk them through how we do this here? Uh, and everybody just go, ah. Uh, oh, come on, y'all. Y'all, I'm going to do all for you not doing all. Let's all do it together. Everybody go, ah. Uh, Okay, thank you. What we want to do is we want to make this church a giving church towards missions. I mean, if I could help you in any way, I'm telling you, man, you need to give to missions. Change the world. Help make a difference. We're in four different, uh, five different locations in four different nations. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But nobody circled missions the first full month we're here. That's okay. Uh, and this uh, $38.58 went to building. And that's where we get our supplies and everything for. And as you can see, we're missing a speaker right now because one of them died out. Uh, so let's give it up for $38.50 for a total of $244. Okay, awesome. Now, let me tell you the part that's uh, uh, where it's not so awesome. This is how much money we spent, <laughs> okay? Now, y'all know how budgets worked here. Now, by the way, Joe, in the back, can you just wave your hand right now? Thank you. Everybody look back at Joe. That's our accountant at the church. And uh, guys, let me tell you something. We can do this, okay? We can do this. Uh, at the location that we're at uh, on Irving Park, our monthly budget is about $20,000, and we're just about meeting that every single month right now, okay? So God's doing that. We can start right here. This is all potatoes for Jesus, okay? But this is what we spent here last month. Our rent was $1,400. That comes out to be $350 a week. Everybody tracking with me, okay? So $350 times four, that's what it comes out to. Uh, gifts, we do the snacks in the back. We do the give outs like we were just talking about all 
these different things on the streets. That's about $100. And then $60 of promotion, those flyers that you guys have, we can get like a thousand of them for $60. We have a great deal on that. So this is what we spent. Let's give it up for the money we spent. Amen? Now that means somebody had to give that money. Okay, so that money that we spent right here uh, didn't come obviously from that $200. So where did this deficit come from? Where did $1,359.56 came from? Those other guys. Everybody give it up one more time for those other guys. Amen. Those are those guys you probably haven't met too many of them. They're at Irving Park and they love you and they love this place and they believe in it and they work hard and they they are going through a recession just like you, but they give their tithes and offerings faithfully, and that's why we were able to meet here uh, last month. And so what I want to ask you to do for our goal for November. Can we, like, pay the bills here? Because the uh, way it's going to work is I've already paid three months in advance, and so December will be our last month on the shekels that we raised before we got here, okay? So that means we're going to use our deposit for December. That means after next month, there's no more shekels. We will have to live off of, off of everything we bring in here. So we need to take this 200, times it by two, and get it up to $2,250. Now, how do we do this as a church? How did Irving Park do this? I, I started that church seven years ago. How do we do it here? We do it by asking everybody to be obedient to the word of God and tithe. And I just want to read you this scripture real quick. If you have your Bible, it's not going to be on the screen. It's in Malachi chapter 3. It's just a scripture that encourages us to give, and I would like to ask you to do that, and then we'll pray for our finances and ask God to bless you and help us to continue to meet our budget. Uh, the Bible talks about in Malachi chapter 3 that the people of Israel were giving money, and they were getting greedy, and they were giving nothing back to God. Kind of sounds like America at times, right? Uh, then we put on our dollar bill, and God we trust. How many Americans do you think trust in God right now? But how many of you think are trusting in that greenback right now, right? It's kind of like we flipped it around. And uh, that was the same thing that was going on in Malachi's day in the Old Testament here. And uh, God began to speak to them in uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. And he said, will a man rob God? Think about that question. He asked the question. God's talking. He said, can you rob me? Can you rob God? And he says, yet you have robbed me. And then he says, you asked me, how have we robbed you? He says, in tithes and offerings. He says, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Can everybody say amen to that? Amen. amen. We believe in tithes and offerings, and simply what that means is that when God gives us a job, and I've learned this since I was a small child, my mom gave me allowance a dollar, I would give 10% of that back to Jesus. So when I was a little boy and my mom gave me a dollar, what would I give back to Jesus? A dime, amen. I got a little over $10. You keep it on the real, I don't want you guys to think anything's, uh, you know, under, uh, up my sleeve. My wife and I made somewhere around $40,000 doing uh, Bible college and uh, teaching as a professor. So you know what? I get paid right around $4,000 a month. See, I, you don't have to tell me, but I just wanted to tell you, the church doesn't pay me. I make money through the Bible college. Why? Because the monies that the church makes goes directly to the church. Everybody tracking with me here? And so if I get paid $4,000 a month, what do I give to the church? What is my tithe? 
$400. And you see, we all knew that we could make a difference. See, think about that. If this was the only place I was tithing, $400 to that $2,000, that just went down to $1,600. And if we all began to do that here, say, say if 10 people began to do that, how much would that come out to? About $200, that's $2,000 a month. If 20 people began to give $100, that's saying that they're only making $1,000 a month, maybe times what's up. Then that's, then that's going to pay the bills. And then what I like to do is I go above and beyond my tithe. My parents taught me this. They're givers. Uh, I was taught this from my pastor growing up is I give to missions. I take pride. I, it's an honor that I can give these men the supplies they need to preach the gospel. And so we're not even asking for a building fund. We're just saying, guys, can we be obedient to the Lord and tithe and then give to missions? Can somebody say amen? Amen. Let's pray as we prepare to give again today. Lord, we just thank you for the report, God, even though uh, right now we're a little behind. God, I've seen in offerings like this, people give ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 and say, Pastor, I believe in what you're doing. God, I even met a person on a plane that I never saw again who gave our ministry $20,000 because he heard of what we were doing in the inner city. And God, I've also met people. One time a lady came over to the altar just with a bundle of dollar bills, and she said, God just told me to give this to help you because of the transportation and the ministry you do for the people here. God, whether it's somebody just giving dollars or thousands, God, you've all asked us to give a tithe, and that's always what pleases you is when we do our part, whether it's a thousand or a dollar, whatever that tithe is, God, you've asked us to do it. And Lord, I pray you'll bless us as we do it. And Lord, what is so dear to my heart, more important to me than Wicker and Irving Park are places like Lahore, Pakistan, places like Owerri, Nigeria, Vijayawada, India, New Delhi, India, Kathmandu, Nepal, these places where you called us to plant churches, God, to work with these apostles and their ministries. Lord, I pray you bless them today, protect them, provide for them, and let the little we give to them go a long way. And Lord, now we ask lastly for ourselves. Give us our daily bread, Father. Give this economy a jump start, Lord. Bless our leaders in Congress. God, bless our businesses and inventors, oh God, and education, God, and civil government to bring peace. Lord, bless America again, this land that we love. And bless our soldiers and those that protect us overseas. We ask you to do this in the name of Jesus. And can everybody say amen and amen? Let's say this scripture on the count of three. As a, Let me just pause right here because I know we've done this before. Let me tell you why we do this. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We want to speak the word of God. So you're knowing now, Pastor Joe, Metro Praise, they need a thousand plus dollars. I'm speaking this word over my life. Sometimes in my family, we've had tough times. We have a third child coming on the way. I've had to speak this over my life. That's why we speak it together. Amen? So as you hear it, let faith rise in your heart. Believe you can do miracles. Let's say it on the count of three. One, two, three. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. Would you just give with a generous heart and uh, watch the video as you can. Thank you so much.
just in case you guys are wondering, uh, like I said, Joe's our accountant. At the end of the year, we give giving reports. And at any time, you can check in with us. Joe will print it out for you. You can see right where those shekels are going every month. Uh, we're an open book church, just as you saw in that presentation right there. We're going to do that every month as long as the Lord allows us to do it. We just want to thank you guys for giving. Also, you guys can give online. Uh, we have different people that, you know, use their credit cards. We go through PayPal. And uh, you can go right there and sign up to have it take out monthly. So that makes it easy. I know a lot of people like to do that on our other campus. You can hit building fund, missions, tithe, bada bing, bada boom, uh, fifth of the month, whatever. It'll take it right out. Amen. Awesome. Well, today we are going to get into a subject that I have been waiting for. It is the cherry on top of our series of the W's of life. And uh, some of you have been wondering where uh, this comes from. Where are my keys? I'm not going to give it away yet until we get to the message part. But I'm going to tell you, it's going to have something to do with this question right here. And this is the time where we get to make this the Christian Oprah Winfrey. Amen. Y'all excited about that? Come on. Okay. Okay, so here's the big question for today. Is there such a thing as good and evil? Okay, so today's subject is going to have something to do with this. And I want you to ask this question because it's going to play a part in how you view the message. Is there such a thing as good and evil? Now, a lot of people today are what we call postmodernists. And what most modern people believe is that the idea of absolute truth is no longer absolute. That they don't believe in a standard right or wrong anymore. And a lot of people just say, according to your belief, according to your perspective, things are true. And we talked about this before when we talked about who is Jesus. Is there such thing as absolute truth? Well, now how this plays out is into this subject called morality. Because if there's not an absolute truth, well, then there's probably not an absolute sense of good and evil. But is that how we live? Do we feel like everything is relative, just a matter of opinion? Like when you watch an innocent child get hurt on TV, as we've seen here uh, in China, like that video of a young baby get ran over and people walking by. Was that okay with you? Or do you think that that was evil? Or, or do you think that it's good to take care of children or to be respectful to your family? So that's the question today. Is there such a thing as good and evil? And this is now where I play the cool music. You look to your neighbor and you begin to discuss right now. Okay, so look at your neighbor and go, what do you think? What do you believe? Okay, so let's make this a discussion time. Come on, ask somebody, what do you believe?
Okay, I'm going to ask that Josh would come up here. You guys can keep discussing. But uh, we're going to pass around this mic. If you guys want to do your uh, talk show thing, I want to hear from somebody. Come on, somebody share with me. What do you think? Is there such a thing as good and evil? Come on, you'll go first. It's always got to be a first. Thank you, my brother. Uh, good and evil? Yes, sir. The battle, the battle is on the human race. That's my opinion. The battle is on the human race. That one word you're saying before the human race, I can't hear. What's that word you're saying? The battle zone. The, the battle zone is in the human race. The battle zone of the human race. The battle zone of the human race. Can you get to the mic? Can you explain that more? Battle zone of the human uh, race. The human being's conscience. See, the devil, in my case, he's not here. He's here. Okay, so, so the devil's in our thoughts. Yeah. So so I speak for myself. I speak only for myself. He's here. Okay. So I'm assuming you believe there's a good and evil. Right. Okay. Awesome. Anybody else? Yes, Thank you for starting us off. Deanna over there reminds me like a Hail Mary pass to her. Uh, maybe pass it down like the offering. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Matt. All right, Diana. Yeah, Jennifer. Is it still? Yeah, there's a button to click right there. It should turn green when it's Okay, all right, fine. Okay, so, um, do I believe in good and evil? Um, yes, I do believe in good and evil. Um, I've said every good and perfect gift comes from God, so. And it says, you know, evil in the Bible too, but um, I think that we can go deeper, like, to, to um, like, disobedient and obedient. Like, I've heard pre preachers say, um, you know, eating fruits and vegetables, is that good? Yeah, it's good, but the first sin, you know, was eating the fruit off the tree. So, it, you can go more in depth, like, disobedient and obedient, definitely good and evil, but there are, um, as in our discussion, there are, like, Wrong. There are sins that might look good, you know, that might be good, but it's just disobedient, you know? So, yeah. Okay, so you believe in good and evil, and then it's obedient, disobedient. So if God says, don't eat your vegetables, then that's good. You don't eat your vegetables. But if he says, eat them, then you do, then that's a sin. So the idea is whatever he says is good, whatever he says is bad. That's what you're saying? If you're not, to clarify. Does everybody understand what you're saying? I thought that's what I heard you saying. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Okay, anybody else? Somebody want to add to that? Disobedience, obedience, a battle zone, pass it on to Joe's aunt, come on. You gotta click on it, we're, we're, we, have, we have secret tricks here. Help her out, Joe, thank you. Well, I'm pretty good at talking, anyhow. No, it's just for the webcast, it's just for the webcast, thank All right, you. well, I think, do
Jews that are, so God told them, hey, go ahead. To go see what you can do. And then now that's that constant battle among mankind because they're both after And a lot of times in my own experience, in my own court, the more I go that I want to believe in the Lord, and I do believe in the Lord, and I walk with the Lord, and the Lord is in my heart, and talks to me, and tells me what to go for, the devil is at me at all times, throwing me many different evil things to sit upon me so that I can turn around and try to go his way. But I won't, because I know the Lord is with me, and I know he has a plan to show me and to overcome the evil that's set about me. Okay, thank you. So morals, that's where it's at, good and evil, right? We're here in good and evil, through morals, obedience, the battle. Anybody want to add to it? I'm going to recycle this one more time. Because we're not in the room. This is what we came here for. We came here to hang out, talk, and solve it to the group. Any other comments? Here we go, Walter at the front. Come on. Yeah, I do believe there is a good and evil because as I go out in the streets and preach the word, and I do almost often now these days, I see evil preaching false doctrine. You know, because just like the other day, I ran into a homeless guy who told me that Adam and Eve was our second chance. I was like, what? You're crazy. What do you mean? What did he mean that Adam and Eve were our second chance? That's exactly what I did. I looked at him, I was like, you better be kidding me. I mean, maybe for the angels that rebelled against God, that was their second chance. But for us, we're humans, and I, I believe that angels are jealous of us because God loves us more than he even loves his own angels. Because yeah. angels don't get a second chance. Exactly. So many of them walk this earth as demons now. They're yeah. trying to get us turned away from God. Amen. Right on. Okay, so we're bringing it back to the Garden of Eden. Angels fell. They didn't get another chance. One last comment. Who wants the last word today on good or evil? All right, my man, come on. Yeah, as you were saying, like, it, people see it as a matter of perspective. But even uh, perspective is based on truth, some relatively truth. Uh, like, uh, I'll, I'll use a name as an example. To say my name is Sid, it, it, is, uh, you can say it as uh, you see a perspective as a different way. But, so it's not so, but then again, it's still based on that being a, a, a real truth. You know? uh, I know so, it's truth, so you would say truth changes with perspective, so if I say your name is Bob, it becomes Bob? No, no, it's still based off the truth. If you want its perspective, it still comes from the truth. It's I would still say, a solid fact. I, I would say truth has a perspective whether people acknowledge it or not. So maybe, and people don't acknowledge your name is Sid, they keep calling you Bob, but they say, uh, you're just going to be Bob to me, but you're like, no, my name is Sid. And you're going to say, no, this is the truth, whether you accept it or not. So uh, from people's perspective, they can choose to re reject or accept truth. But uh, truth is always going to be truth. Your name will never be Bob, it's always going to be Sid. That's what I think. And I'm going to preach a whole lot about what I think. So thanks for the last word. Let's give it up, everybody. Y'all did awesome. Isn't that fun? That's great. Okay, let's open up our Bibles to Psalms 106. If you have your Bibles, would you turn there uh, with me, please? Psalms 106. And uh, we're going to talk today about where are my keys. Now, this is the message that I've been waiting to share with you 
something creative that I came up with, and I thank you for understanding here in just a few moments. And I was asking uh, others before service, you know, if coming, what do you think the keys are? And I've been hearing different uh, guesses, but they're not on target. You're going to see where I'm going in just a moment, but I appreciate the guesses. Look at Psalms 106, one, just hold your place there. And I want you to think of this illustration with me right now. I'm going uh, snowboarding. It's in the middle of February. The snow is like knee high. And uh, I've got on my snow pants. I've got my snowboard in the back. I'm heading out to Wisconsin. A little drizzling of, you know, little flurries are coming down, just kind of just putting that little icing of that, that fresh pow, as we call it in the snowboarding world. The powder is coming down right on top of that, that snow. And I miss a turn. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. And I miss a turn, and I got this uh, Mercury. If you ever see this car that I drive, if you ever want to know why I'm driving a Grand Marquis? No, it's not because I'm a mafia guy or a drug dealer. Uh, it's because my grandpa passed away, and my mom received the car, and she gave it to me. So if you ever want to try to uh, picture me why I have that car, it was a gift. I would want a totally different car if it was my choice. But hey, got a car. Amen. And so I'm just like wheeling it around. If you guys see the way I drive, I'm already leaving back to the Chicago leave. And so I miss my turn, and I'm just thinking, I'm going to do a U-turn. You know what I'm saying? No big deal. Until I get stuck in a ditch. And then I just like put it into reverse, and you know what starts to happen now. You're just thinking, I'm just going to reverse it. And then, you know, the tires are spinning. And then I put it into drive. And about doing that about three times, I've now realized I've just dug a bigger ditch for my car to be in. And so I'm thinking to myself now, oh my goodness, I am out in the middle of Wisconsin, the snow is coming down, this is not cool anymore. I'm gonna get up on the car and I'm gonna take my snowboard and I'm gonna like use it as a shovel and start digging myself up. So, you know, I, I get out the car, I pop the trunk, I, I get out and I, and I grab the snowboard and I start doing it. And then I start realizing where I am at is like total ice because that little flesh, fresh little flurries isn't like where I'm at right now. This is like where the snow plow has already like pushed all to the side. It's kind of melted. You guys know what I'm talking about. And I got stuck and then heating my tires up. So I'm not like in about two feet of ice. So I'm just like, dude, I have got to call a tow truck now. So I go to my car door and I begin to open it. And this is what happens. See, my car has a locking system. That's when it's left in drive, and you shut the door, it automatically locks it. So since I was going back and forth like this so much, I forgot when I got out of the car, I had left it in drive. So now here I am with my snow pants on, just a t-shirt, in the middle of Wisconsin, listening to my car in neutral, just watching the little tire spin, and I'm looking at my keys. And that's why I said, where are my keys? And this is not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story. Because then I looked in, where's my cell phone? Oh, it's right there. Where's my wallet? It's right there as well. So I start freaking out like anybody else would. And I start waving down people. And, you know, a miracle. A guy comes by in a tow truck. And I'm like, are you going to help me? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to help you. But you got to, you know, you got to put your car in neutral. 
And then he's like, you know, you could try this Jimmy, okay? And by this time, I've already been out in the cold about 20 minutes. I can't even feel my fingers anymore. And I'm like trying to like stick this thing down. I want to get it, man. Just do this. Yeah, I want to get it. And then finally, I'm just, I just walk over to him. I'm just like, you got something big right now. And he's like, what? He's like, just give it to me. Give it to me right now. And then he gives me like this piece of steel. I don't even know what it is. And I just like walk over to my car. And I'm like, Blast open my back window, just throw it right through the window, get in there, and it all gets towed out, and I got charged $150 for the tow, $200 for my window, yeah, me. Now, what is the, the point behind this? This is the point in a funny story, is why is there evil and suffering in this life? You see, that's the question, the big W of life, you know? Who am I? Why am I here? Where do I go when I die? Now this last one is such a big one. Why is there evil and suffering in this life? Did I deserve that? Why do bad things happen to good people? And then now taking it out of the comical scenario, I begin to think of what I've gone through just in this life. And as a pastor, I start to think of some of the things that I've had to see some of the most toughest things that, that anybody would have to see. One of my young people in the inner city of New Orleans, uh, she had two children. She was a teenager herself already by 17. She had two children, and she couldn't take care of one of the, child, of the children. And she took the child with her mother in a garbage bag, tied up the child in a garbage bag, and threw that child onto the train tracks, and the train ran over that child. We know that because... Uh, they were found guilty, and she's serving a life sentence with her mother. I think about the hideous things that happen in this life. I remember some members of our church uh, had been a part, as a matter of fact, from our home Bible study seven years ago. Just great people, love God, young adults, just the world in front of them. And uh, they tried so hard to get pregnant and have a child. You know, I had married them, and, you know, just I just love children, and they love children. They wanted a baby. And they brought the baby all the way up until the last, you know, the, the, the last time. Oh, what was it called? The last trimester. trimester. Thank you. The last trimester. We're all excited. But then she goes into early labor. And then the baby is born uh, 30 days premature. And his name is Hezekiah. And I go there to visit him. Uh, and he's probably no more bigger than six inches. And he's just laying on the ICU. They got the little tubes in there. He's little fingers and toes, and we're all just praying for him. And a few days later, he died. And I you know, had to go to this couple and say, you know, Jesus loves you, God is with you, trust him in this time. And it almost seems like it's not enough, you know? It almost seems like, like God just leaves us out here to suffer. It feels like sometimes, you know, we're the ants and God is that teenage kid that has nothing better to do than just take that magnifying glass and just hold it over us and say, how do you like it? How do you like it? And then we're supposed to cry out and say, help us, Lord. And sometimes we feel that God is not a good God. And if you haven't gone through a time like that in your life, you just haven't lived long enough because you will face one of those times in the last story that I think of is my mother, you know, uh, raising three children as a single mom here in uh, Chicago. She meets my dad. Uh, they then move out to Indiana. They have me. 
and, and my three half-siblings, though we never looked at them that way, get into drugs and alcohol, uh, basically torment my mom and dad's wife for many years. And then one day at four in the morning, she gets a call that Jenny, my sister, hit a pole going 70 miles an hour. They do the toxicology report and she was well over uh, the legal driving limit. She was drunk. I remember, uh, you know, my mom waking me up that morning going, show, you know, I was in Bible college about 12 years ago. I remember her waking me up and she said, Joe, uh, Jenny's died. She's been in a terrible car accident. And I remember just getting up out of bed and taking my mom by the shoulder and then just going with her to my knees, saying, God, would you help us? But that wasn't the worst of it. The worst of it was when we showed up at the, the, the pound where the car was, and it was split in two, 70 miles an hour into a pole, split the car in two, she went through the roof. And watching my mom go through the front part of the car where, where Jenny had some of you know, these things uh, hanging down from the rearview mirror, watching my mom just take these things and fall down on the concrete, and my dad and I having to lift her up. Why is there evil and suffering in this world? Why does bad things happen to good people? That's a question that we need to answer, and I saved it for last. But before I give you a Christian answer, I want to give you some answers that other people have already given us. One of the famous atheist philosopher, David Hume, in the 18th century, he said this. He says, is God willing to prevent evil but not able, then he is impotent. Is God able, but not willing, then he's malevolent. Is God both able and willing, why then is there evil? I want you to see this problem of evil that David Hume brings up. You can see it in these points on the screen. The first one is, a good God would destroy evil. An all-powerful God could destroy evil. Number three, but evil's not destroyed. Therefore, there cannot possibly be such a good and powerful God. Bart Ehrman turns his back on faith after being a Christian for many years, going to Moody Bible Institute on the idea of suffering. Many Christians have lost their faith. Some of the Jewish survivors of the Holocaust turned their back on God because they said, if God was with us, why would we suffer so much? And here are the answers that other people give outside of Christianity. Because let me say this, we're not the only ones that have to answer this question. Why is there evil? Say, for example, today somebody says, well, I don't like the Christian answer. I'm going to storm out of church. What does that mean? No more evil will happen to you? You see, we all have to answer the question of evil. So I put before you today, like a jury, me being a lawyer, and God on trial. You decide today where the best answer lies. Does it come from one of these, or does it come from the Bible? Well, the first answer that many are turning to today is atheism. And they say there's no such things as good and evil, only natural selection and evolution. And even though an atheist may say they can do good without God, and though atheists may have a sense of right and wrong as a compass, the bottom line is there's really no ultimate good and evil. And the advice of the atheists to the Auschwitz survivors, to those of the earthquake of Haiti, is get over it. Get over it. Stop complaining. What did you think you would find here anyway? 
An animal eats another animal. We eat animals. What's the difference? One human being suffers, one ant suffers. We're all just here by natural selection. Stop complaining anyway. Number two, dualism is this idea where now some atheists are trying to scooch on over to, like people like Joshua Harris and Bart Ehrman. This is where Middle uh, Eastern philosophy would be, like Buddhism and Taoism, and it's called dualism. And it would say both good and evil exist as two separate but equal powers, and that's where you get the idea of yin and yang. But is that very encouraging? All the evil you face will never be conquered. Only good will equal the evil. It will never conquer the evil. So the justice will never come to you. You will only be able to say at the end, maybe through many lives of reincarnations, I've had 50% evil, I've had 50% good. Number three, there is a certain sect of Christians, and it's called denial, and they believe that God destroyed evil on the cross, and thus evil and suffering is just an illusion. This is not as popular today as it once used to be among Christians, but there was a move among the early 1900s around the same time of David Hume, and they began to believe in what is called now Christian science, and it has to do with metaphysics, and the basic idea is this, suffering is just an illusion. Your physical body is not really here. You're just a spirit, and this is an illusion. And some of this denial is also in Hindu thought, which through meditation, you can transcend the body, you can ignore the suffering, and you can simply look at the good. That's why when I travel to places like India, they say the tears of strangers are mostly water. There's not a compassion of the religious. The religious go to Himalayan mountains and meditate, because if they deny the material universe, evil will no longer exist. Maybe that's why we don't see Buddhist homeless shelters and orphanages in our cities or around the world. Number four, we get into this idea of fatalism, which all of the above can somehow tap into this. But this is mostly the idea of Islamic belief. And I have a book on Islam. It's called Kedar, the belief of destiny. And that is God is the source of everything. Thus he created evil and it works for his good. So now not only do you gotta tell the person who's suffering, just stop complaining, the thing you put on top of that is, and God is doing it, by the way. So you're suffering, it's God's fault, and then stop complaining. My friends, is atheism the solution? You can stop out of here today and say, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't believe in the Bible. Well, then the greatest definition of good and evil in you and your definition can only be natural selection. You may say, well, I believe in yin and yang. The best answer you have, then, is this is going to work out 50-50 over many lives. You can say, I'm going to deny it, I'm going to become like a monk, or I'm just going to say it's all an illusion, but really you're just kidding yourself. Or lastly, you can just say, hey, God did it to me, and you can thus change the character of God into a devil and become like that, hard-hearted. But I thank God today there's an answer in the Bible. Somebody say amen. amen. Are you ready for the answer today? Did you get your scripture over to Psalms 106? Psalms 106, starting in verse 3, of 1 through 3, gives us the first principle of the Bible. God is good. Everybody say this with me. God is good. That's the first principle you're going to learn in the Bible. When we want to know the question of why is there evil and suffering, the first thing that we need to know is that God is good. He's omnibenevolent. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I can believe that. 
My friends, and none of the other answers are going to make sense to you. But if you can trust me, just like you were watching Lord of the Rings, and I would say, hey, Gandalf, he's going to be a good guy. Trust me. Just follow the story. But here's the foundation. The premise is our God is good. And I hope you'll see this fulfilled throughout the verses I give you and through your own personal experience. Psalms 106, starting in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is what? Come on, for he is what? He is good. His love endures forever. How long does his love last? Forever. Thank you. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? Blessed are they who maintain justice. See, there is the word you want to hear today. Somebody say justice. Thank you. Can I just help you understand this word? Justice means wrongs are made right. And those who have done right are rewarded. In all of the beliefs that I just gave you before, atheism to the one who's locked in the basement, they just found a woman that was locked in the basement. She was on Dr. Phil for over 14 years while people lived upstairs. This is so psychotic. The man chained her up like a dog, muzzled her, or told her if she spoke, he would kill her because he kidnapped her as a junior high girl. That means that at the end of her life, the one who did that to her has no justice. The atheism is true. Just get over it. We feel bad for you. We understand. But Mike is right. Survival of the fittest. You see how that uh, you see how that lion tackles that antelope? That strong man, he just tackles you. You see, atheism gives us no justice. There's no eternal justice. Hitler won, according to atheism. He who has the most toys and power at the end, and when they die, they win. Because if there is no afterlife, this is the only life, then why not step on your neighbor's toes to get ahead? Are you listening to me? If there's no sense of afterlife or justice, then do what thou wilt. Be drink, be married, for tomorrow you die. But the Bible gives us such a different understanding that God is good and that God is maintaining justice. So that means that all the evil that the atheists, the agnostic, the dualists, the fatalists, all of us would agree on, we can say, our God says he's going to do something about it. Right now, somebody might say, well, your God is make-believe. I could say the flying spaghetti monster would do something about it. But I'm not talking about a made-up God today. I'm talking about a God that would create the universe with morality being inside of each and every one of us. So I'm talking about a being that you can relate to because you can relate to good and evil. Where did that come from? Once again, atheism can't answer that and provide justice. But the God of the Bible can. And look at Mark 10, 18. While Jesus was on the earth, somebody said to him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And then Jesus says to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. What most people don't understand is that Jesus wasn't shifting the compliment to God. He was identifying himself as God. He says, you know, only God is good. And thus he was saying, if you're calling me good, then you know that I am God. And we know Jesus lived without sin. So Jesus embodied a good God. When Jesus was upon the earth, how did he treat suffering? How did he treat the sick? He healed them. 
How did he treat the man who was at the cross and was dying? He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. How did he say to the widow? What did he say to the widow who gave all she had in that offering? He said, this woman has given more than all the rest. You see, Jesus embodied the justice of God. But ultimately, where did Jesus go? To the cross. Because the Bible says from this foundation of the world, Jesus Christ was the Lamb slain. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we begin to see that a good God knew we would need a Savior. And Jesus was always the Savior before we ever knew we needed one. The first point to answer, why is there evil and suffering? Well, the first answer is God is good. Let's keep going. The second thing that we learn is that God originally created everything good. Go with me to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 31, and see what it says here to us. God saw all that he made, and it was good. I love what Ravi Zachariah says about this. If it wasn't good, then why do we always strive to put things back in a good or right order? Meaning, if we weren't originally a different way, why do we always feel like the way we're living now isn't right? For example, when you think about teenagers on the streets of Chicago, over 500 murders last year, leading the, the nation in murders, not per capita, but by number, we outdid New York. When you think about that, do you think that's right? Do you think that abortion is right? Do you think that the rape, you know, I have an app on my phone from the Chicago Tribune, and I can turn there right now just as an illustration, and I can begin to share with you things that are happening through this city. And I would ask you a question. Do you feel that it's right, or do you feel it's wrong? When I begin to share with you these different things that have happened in our city, that we begin to see the troubles that we're facing, and the people's lives that are being affected, that a man was found dead in his closet was a homicide victim, okay? So the autopsy report shows us in today's newspaper that the man they found dead in a closet, he was murdered and put there. And the babysitter injured a six-month-old boy by shaking him. So the police had to arrest a mother for shaking a six-month-old daughter. Bail is denied for a teen charged in the slaying of three people in this certain neighborhood of Chicago. Woman questioned in death of newborn in Streamwood. So here we have another death of a child, and now the mother's being questioned. Did you kill your dog? And I can just, this is today's newspaper, friend. Now, this is what Robbie Zacharias says, and I believe the Bible stands by this. He's a Christian apologetic and, and author. He says, why is it when we hear that, we go, that's not good. And then we say to ourselves, we've got to fix that. We either got to put him in jail, make him right, teach our kids. You know why we're always striving to go back to good? It's because we were made good originally. When your leg is limp, you want to go back to good, don't you, and walk straight, because that's how it was made. You put on glasses when you don't see right, because you know that's what it's intended to do. And why is it on the inside? We're always trying to make things right, because God originally created it right. You see, your moral compass is a sign that you once used to be different as a human being you are now. We once used to be perfect. 
and now your compass is a little bit off. You don't hit north all the time, but you hit it pretty much all the time. Other than those times you justify, most of the time you say rape is wrong, molestation is wrong. Come on, how many have a good compass on the inside of them? Why? Because God made you good. It's a simple point, but it will transform you as you begin to think it through. Let's go to point number three. The third point is that God created man with a free will. Now this is here where we maybe get into a, what we call a, a theological conundrum or a circular argument where we begin to try to explain something and it seems like we keep going over and over in a circle. But it's really not a circle. Let's read the scripture and then I'll explain to you why the free will of man is so important. Genesis 2, 15 and onward, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free. Somebody say, you are free. Get the understanding of this. You are free. You are a free moral agent. And that's how you were created. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Let's get an understanding here. God created us with morals. Now when we begin to think about this, there's immediately three questions that enter into this story. If you don't know it, I'll say it very quickly. God created man and woman, perfect. They're in the garden. They then approach the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A serpent is there. Satan is his name. He tempts them. They eat it. Their eyes are open. They realize that they have broken fellowship with God. They run and hide. God slaughters an animal, covers them in animal skin in their nakedness, kicks them out the garden, and the next thing we see is one of their children, Cain, is killing his brother Abel. Everybody tracking with me. Now when you get to this story, there's three components that everybody asks every time we get here. That's, where did Satan come from? Adam and Eve, they're strolling through the garden, they go to the tree, they already see Satan there. So there's a question, where did he come from? Because it's already assumed we know who he is. So where did he come from? Then the second question that we have come to us is where did the evil come from that now Satan is suggesting Adam and Eve do? So it seems like Satan, this serpent, he's pretty good at sinning. So he's tempting now. So where did that evil come from that brought Satan to that place? And then the third thing is, is why did God make such severe consequences if he knew they would sin? Some people say this would be the equivalent of me saying to my three-year-old child, you can either today have food and play with your dolls, or you can touch this button that will explode and destroy the entire house. But yet the consequence doesn't even stop there with them pushing the button and destroying their own life. If they push the button, they're going to destroy all the houses of the neighborhood. More than that, all the houses of the world. More than that, all the houses of anybody who ever exists. See, the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin is said throughout the Bible, primarily in Romans chapter 3, that when they sinned, all of mankind was brought instantly into a place of death and separation at birth. Quite a severe consequence. But let's look at these three questions. Number one, where did Satan come from? Well, if you're tracking the story, once again, you can believe or not believe the story, but at least hear where he comes from in the text of the story. And that is that he was an angel created with free will, and he disobeyed God. So we get the story in Ezekiel and also in the book of Job and a little bit of Isaiah that when God created uh, the heavens, see, God has always existed. 
But there's a time and space where God starts creating things. And the first thing he does is he creates heavens. And in these realms, he begins to place angels. We see this. And Lucifer, the son of the morning, is one of those angels. And he has a choice. And we see that he makes the wrong choice. And his mistake was he accepts worship that was unto God. He accepts worship unto himself. Now, as we were talking before, we learned that Satan is not given another chance. And at this moment, he is kicked out of heaven. A third of the angels go with him. And some of them are bound to hell. The Bible says they've been there since they fell. Others have been on this earth as demons. Now, where did the evil come from that Satan himself was tempted with, right? Because if we see Satan in our time on this earth as the source of evil, then who gave him evil for him to fall? Well, this is where we begin to understand the actual concept of evil. Evil has existed as long as free will has existed in God's creation. It's the absence of his goodness like darkness or coldness. Let me give you an example. In this room right now, darkness can only be where light is not. Darkness is not a thing. I cannot turn on something and make this room darker. But what I do is when I lower these lights, the room becomes darker. What we realize is that darkness is not a thing. Darkness is the absence of a thing. Are you all tracking with me? So at that time that God created the heavens, he creates free will. He is not the creator of evil. He's the creator of free will. And at this point, free will has a choice to choose God and the lights are on. If free will rejects God, it is darkness where God is not. This is what we call evil and sin. So God does not create the evil, but he allows people to be where he is not. It's a big difference because he is not the author of death and destruction, pain and sorrow. But what he says is, this is where I am. And if you walk away from this, I will not be there. Let me give you another example. As I gave with light and darkness, rain and being dry. When you walk outside, the umbrella protects you from the rain, but you are outside in the rain. You take away the umbrella, you're now getting wet. It is not the umbrella's fault that you get wet. The umbrella will always protect you from the rain. Are you listening to me? And so the idea with God is, is when you get out of who God is in his presence, this is where evil comes from. And then thirdly, why would he make such a consequence? Well, this is where we get into the question of what free will would actually mean. Let's take, for example, somebody says, well, he could have just slapped them on the wrist and said, bad, Adam, and let's, let's try this again. Maybe at, at, at worst, he could have just punished them, set them on fire, sent them to everlasting hell and said, that's just for you now. But the problem that we have with this is actually found in science. When God created Adam and Eve, we know that the DNA in the human gene code was within them at that moment. God never created Adam and Eve as singular people. God created Adam and Eve as a human race. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is that Adam and Eve were given more light and understanding than you and I have ever had. 
Imagine waking up one day, not having a belly button, and looking directly into the eyes of your creator. And he goes, boom, I just made you. And then you're like, I don't believe you. He's like, you're stars. You know, however it worked, Adam knew at conception of his creation. And he wasn't creating a baby, he was creating a man. He knew at that moment he was a creation of God. He had understanding that we would never have. And then number three is that if God was to truly have free will be free will, he would have to allow the consequences to be the same in the paradigm that he set up with the angels, which is you step away from free will, you come into a place of death and darkness. And there's not a little bit of darkness where no light is. It's all dark. Go into a closet and shut off the last light. It's not kind of dark. It's totally dark. And so what it meant was, God is saying, you step away from me, you will experience the total darkness of sin. Now we can say all of this at this point, and then just say, I disagree with God. But remember, the person who says, Joe, that's good, but I don't agree with it, they have to go back to the beginning of this lesson and give us a better solution. I'm just giving you what I believe is the best. And I believe it from my personal experience and the Bible, but let's keep going. Number four, man and sin, thus evil and suffering, came as a result. When we look at the Bible, we see quickly here, after they sin, devastation, total darkness comes to every category of life. The moment they sin, their eyes were open, they realized they were naked. If you look up right now at these lights and the ones that are brightest, you can't see the fluorescent ball. All you see is the illumination. They have flesh, but that wasn't what they could see. They didn't even know they were naked because all they saw was the glory of God. When the connection was disconnected, they then, all they saw was their flesh. And since then, man lives for his flesh. But we're supposed to shine in the glory of God. Are you all tracking with me now? The moment the spiritual nature died, they realized, I am just flesh, only flesh. The next thing that we see is that the Lord God curses the animals, and he curses the serpent. So look at this. Because of the serpent, you have done this cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. And what we see from this point on is that animals begin to kill other animals. So the animal kingdom experiences death along with the curse of the serpent. The next thing that we see is that the woman, he said to the woman, I will greatly increase pains and childbearing which is just an example of how it was going to be something beautiful and painless. Now it's going to be harmful. And this is to show us that all sickness and disease, all illness, all things are now going to come into the body. And 17, he said to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. And now here is the natural world. Sometimes we see earthquakes and these natural disasters. And even on insurance policies, they call them acts of God. Yeah. But this is not an act of God. Once again, it's the lights going off over the universe. It's the umbrella being taken away from the Garden of Eden. And this is the world that we find ourselves in today. But here's the good news. Jesus came for the express purpose to destroy the work of the devil. Now just hang in with me. It's going to get real personal in just a moment. But I wanted to give you some real answers. 1 John 3, 7 says, Dear children, 
Do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to do what? Destroy, come on, say it with me, the devil's work. Everybody say, destroy, destroy. the devil's work. Thank you. No one who is born of God will continue in sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. Now let me just share this with you right here. Jesus does not come as a teacher and say, let me just give you some meaning to your day. Let me just try to help make this journey a little bit easier for you. He doesn't come as a, as a monk and say, let's just ignore it for a while. He doesn't come as a scientist and say, well, the data says your pain cells feel that and the blood alcohol level of her was, let me just give you the data. And he doesn't come as a fatalist and just go, well, that's my father, that's what he does. No, he says he came. He came. God, the Son, who is good, in the flesh, to destroy what was done in the garden of Eden. Remember we read at the beginning that God is good? Jesus is good. Remember we read that God brings justice? Jesus brings justice. Now right at this point, some people will say, well, I don't need a Savior. You see, now we go back into that thing of free will. You see, just as man's heart today says, I don't need a God, it's the same reason why Adam and Eve chose to eat from something that God had told them not to is because we even live in a world with suffering and still have pride to turn back to him. Think about it, my friends. You live in the shadow of death. We read Psalms 23 at funerals and we look at the person that's dead and we say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. We think they're walking through the shadow of death. My friend, the person who died is either in heaven or hell. There is no shadow cast on them. But who does that casket cast a shadow on? The living. We walk through the shadow of death every day. We're seeing evil. C.S. Lewis called this place now the fallen world. He called it the Shadowlands. That everywhere you go, you see death and destruction, the work of Satan, and something on the inside of you cries out for justice. Help me. Let good come through this. May my children be spared. May my life be different. And yet we realize nothing comes to our aid. And that's why God sent Jesus. Because man can't fix the problem. Only Jesus. And here's where we get to the good part. When Jesus came on the cross, and I want to read the scripture together as you look to this picture of the cross. Isaiah 53. Jesus did something that you and I couldn't imagine. And I believe for all of eternity, we will still be in awe of what he did. On the cross, he took our sorrows. Remember when we talked about who Jesus is, liar, lord, or lunatic? Just think about the words that he said when he was on this earth. He said, is any of you weary? Is any of you heavy laden? Do any of you have burdens that you're carrying through this life? He says, come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. 
for my yoke is easy, my load is light, and you shall find rest for your souls. He is quoting a, making a direct correlation to Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me beside quiet waters. He restoreth my soul. He's saying, I'm going to change you from the inside. Luke chapter 4, imagine sitting in church. Jesus in the Jewish synagogue opens up a passage of scripture and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to heal all the sick, to release all the prisoners, to set free the oppressed, and declare the year of the Lord's blessing. Everybody's looking at him going, You, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Jude, we know you. How could you be that one? Jesus did something that even the Jewish people didn't understand. That's why they crucified him. Because they thought Jesus would come, beat up the devil, pimp slap the Roman government, send down hellfire, and say, this is how I make it right, and this is my world, and now all the evil you get out of here. No, Jesus said, because man chose evil, he had to come as a man and suffer to set evil people free. Think of that. Jesus became your sin on that cross. Jesus became the suffering of the world on that cross. Look at Isaiah 53 in your Bible as you look at the cross. First, starting the verse 1, who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before us like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Now here we get to the heart of the matter. Verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with sufferings. Like one in whom we hid our faces, he was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he took our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds... We are healed. I'm going to say that again. By his wounds, we are healed. Now, I want you to hear this today, and I want to close out and pray for some broken hearts here. And listen to me. Don't let this prayer time pass you by. I've prayed with mothers who've lost children. I've prayed at funerals for people who have died well before their time, their family. Listen, I don't care what you're going through, whether it's molestation, abuse, neglect, pain, whatever it is today, give Jesus your pain. But hear me today. I want you to listen to me. Some of you right now may think, Joe, if you just, well, you just quit, quit, quit. You went through that thing. Well, you know, kind of impressive. But I don't believe that. I just think that was a whole bunch of religious mumbo-jumbo. You just tied a whole bunch of scriptures together. You made a little quilt. Somebody might feel better, but the bottom line is there's a storm out there, 
And that quilt won't do anything when it drops below zero. Some of us think that this Bible story I just told you, how God is good. We were created good, but we said Jesus came to take the evil of this world. And the cross says that your pains are atoned for. Some would say, Pastor, that's just an illusion as well. But I want to ask you something today. Today, you have your pain. Today, you have your troubles. And God can do one of two things with you. God can give you the description of your pain. And that's what a lot of people want in this life. They want to look to the Bible and they want to say, describe it to me, God. Why did this happen? And why did that happen? And why did this happen? Now, I want you to imagine what you're asking God to do. You're asking God to download to you the answer of all eternity into your cantaloupe-sized brain. How long do you think it would take for an eternal God with 6,000 years of human history to explain to you, a human being, why you suffer, why your dad was this way, to describe to you in full detail how many lifetimes would you have to live while you're still holding on to the pain? You know what I think of this illustration as? Imagine somebody today, you're walking out of this door, it's a little wet, you don't see the step, you slip, you fall back like my mom did in our garage, boom, on your leg, break it in three places. She had to go to the hospital, get it all put together in a cast for eight months. Now imagine you're there in your broken leg state. Well, sister, let's just talk about this for a minute. You see, you have a femur bone, and you know when you fell, boom, yeah, and she's just screaming, you know, let me just describe this to you. And you see that femur bone, it can only take so many pounds of pressure. And then, you know, it popped like this. And then your other bone, it popped like this. Oh, yeah, you see it coming through the skin. Yeah, that's your pain and nerve cells right there. And you know the muscle tissue that's all, yeah, that's, yeah, that's why you're screaming. How many know that the person who just broke their leg would be like, shut up. I don't need you to describe it. I just need help. Help me. And so when you look to the Bible, if you're looking for a description of your pain, you're not going to find one. Because it's not here to describe to you and to me the eternal things of heaven for us to all understand why I got my car locked and my, my keys in my car that day, why you stubbed your toe on the way here, why that girlfriend broke up with you. The Bible would be bigger than all the books of the world. But you know what he gives instead of a description? He gives you a prescription, which is take two of these, wrap the legs up, give her some morphine, put her in the ambulance, come to Jesus, let the Holy Spirit heal you. He's your prescription to the healing of pain in this world. He's not here to give you a description. He's here to give you the prescription. And his name is Jesus. Would you stand with me, please, as, Jesse, uh, as Vanessa comes? Thank you for your time tonight. Thank you for putting up with my voice that's falling apart. You have it. We all have pain. What do you want to do with it now? Are you just going to say, this is just the way it is? I'm just an atheist, a non-believer. Well, 
you will have no justice in your mindset, nor any healing. Are you going to say today, well, I'm just going to try to even it out by doing some good and having some good. You want to try to fix your problem, put a little being in that game? Or how about today do you want to, uh, you know, try to be a little fatalistic at this point? Sarah, Sarah, it is what it is. Suffering, pain, what can we do about it? If you want to take the only other solution, Jesus. You see, why is there suffering in this world? Because God gave us a choice. We matched it up, and he took our pain. As we about as get ready to pray, I want you to know today that I'll never understand your pain. I never can. I can hardly understand my own pain. Let alone my wife's pain. Hello, somebody, buddy, Mary. I can't understand my wife's pain. She says, my back hurts. I'm pregnant. And I just like massage her for 30 seconds. You feel bad? She said, get out of here. And then I come like limping in. Can you massage me? And then the pregnant woman is massaging me, you know? Aren't we so selfish like that? We don't know how to fix ourselves like one other people. Jesus does. And so this is what we're going to do today. Normally we do an altar call. But that would kind of defeat the point, wouldn't it? Because you might get distracted by the person praying for you. You might be like, okay, man, I mean, I'm coming for some Jesus love right now. You better inject it in you. See, I don't want you to be distracted by even our good prayer workers. Can I tell you how it works? You and your heart come to him. Tears come down your eyes. God can bring healing to that today. If there's a bit of anger, sometimes we read in the Bible where David would yell at God and go, why? Some of you feel you're the only one that's gone through anything. Can I tell you, we have a whole book on this. It's called Job. It's called Job. There's a whole book about suffering. I love what one pastor said to another atheist while he was debating. He said, everything you're saying today as modern man was written almost 3,000 years ago. You should just take Job's complaints towards God in all those chapters and just sign your name and hold it out because it's already been written. Where are you, God? You're unfair. Why do the righteous die young? Why do the wicked live old? Why don't you hear me when I call? I mean, it's all there. You can do that today. But I would suggest that you just give it to God. Make it simple. If you go through the life of Jesus, he works through confession. I need you, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Heal me, Jesus. Let's just pray, because that's what he wants us to do. That's how you pray. Just, you, can, you just confess. Father, I thank you for bringing us all here tonight. Before we leave out of your Lord, May we take these next few moments to give you the pain of our heart. Let us, God, take off the mask and stop looking for the description of the pain and receive the prescription. Vanessa, would you just play instead of singing? I know we were going to sing the song, but I just want us just to hear the music. And if some of you want to kneel, or just stand. I want us just to take this time with God. Just between us and the Lord. And then we'll dismiss in just about a few moments. So would you just take this time with me?
prayer workers would come down. We're going to close out just praying for any needs you may have. But I wanted you to start off just connecting to God. Because if you can trust God, you'll trust us to pray for you. You'll trust the advice we'll give you from the Word of God. But you've got to sense Him in your heart first. You've got to believe that He's here. There's nothing we can do to convince you more than what we've done now. We've, we've given you the Word. and We've preached with passion. We're worshiping. I mean, God is here, but you've got, the Bible says He knocks at the door of your heart. You've got to open up that. And so if you would like prayer for anything, if you just want to get prayer for your own issues or troubles or things people have done to you, trust me, you won't be the first to come up here and confess some of the hardest things that is imaginable. I mean, I've heard so much at these altars. But just don't be ashamed. We're not here to judge. We're just here to help pray with you. We want to love on you. And for those today that would say, oh, I'm good. Pastor, I'm good. I'm good. Everything's good. I love Jesus. No pain. Just remember this message when that comes into your life, when pain comes to your life on that day. It may come 10 years from now. I'm not trying to speak bad. I'm just saying, you're going to, everybody will experience it. Just remember, oh, God is good. He hasn't left me. He's going to make it right, either here in this world or the world to come. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to come to Jesus because he understands. I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to hang out with Jesus today. Lord, I thank you for bringing us into this church. And God, I thank you that you're the only one that can say, I understand. You know all of our pain, Jesus. You know rejection. You know hurt. You know abuse. You know what it's like to lose somebody. God, you took it on the cross. It was a miracle there. You knew all of our pain. You carried it all. And now today, God, we don't have to carry it. We give it to you. And we ask you now to heal our hearts. Though our hearts may be broken like a vase, but shattered on the ground in a thousand pieces, God, you can make us whole again. You can make us smile again. You said you'll give us joy that the world can never take away. So Lord, encourage us today. Heal the hearts today of those who need it. And help us to share this word everywhere we go that you're a good God. In Jesus' name, can everybody say amen? Amen. We're just going to begin to worship the Lord. If you would just like to stick around here, we're going to invite you to stay. Uh, just let us pray with you. If not, God bless you. Enjoy the cafe. I'll be up here to take some questions as well. God bless you.
now. We'll be out there in just a minute. And don't let us take away from you just chilling either. But if you want that prayer, we're just giving you another chance before we uh, just close it down tonight. Because we know some may be waiting for God to show you His face. God wants to show you His glory again. He wants to turn on the light. That light that's been off on the inside, He wants to turn it on again. He wants His glory to come in your life from the inside out, to heal you, to transform you. God is able. He'll show you His heart today. He'll show you His glory. And you'll see it in your life right now. And you'll have a hope that one day you'll see it in heaven. He is real. He's alive. Just come if you want prayer. Come on, Jesus loves you.